Um, good morning, new community. Carlton asked if you can do better than that. Good morning, new community. A little better, a little better, a little better. It is Christmas. Uh, it is good to be with you this morning. Uh, thank you for being here wherever you're coming from. Those of you coming from uh, New Community Bronzeville likely had a bit longer of a drive, but thanks be to God, there was very little traffic this morning. Somebody say amen, because it can be rough out there sometimes, can it? Our passage this morning comes from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 through 16. that's okay with you, I'd like to invite you, if you're able, to stand, please, for the reading of God's Word. When I conclude, I'll say, this is the Word of God, and with some joy in your voices, please respond, thanks be to God. Now, when the king was settled in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, the king said to the prophet Nathan, see now. I am living in a house of cedar, but the ark of God stays in a tent. Nathan said to the king, go, do all that you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, are you the one to build me a house to live in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent and a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about among all the people of Israel, did I ever speak a word with any of the tribal leaders of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep to be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may live in their own place, and be disturbed no more. And evildoers shall afflict them no more, as formerly. From the time I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies." Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come forth from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will punish him with a rod such as mortals use, with blows inflicted by human beings. But I will not take my steadfast love from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. This is the word of God. And you may be seated. Holy Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Turn our hearts, 
our minds, our whole embodied selves to you this morning. We are a hungry and a thirsty people ready to celebrate the coming of our Lord. Speak to us, transform us again more into the likeness of you, our Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. Amen. So from this passage, just for a few minutes, I want to speak from the theme, God's plans are better than ours. I don't have to convince some of you, maybe a couple of us. Our passage this morning has some humor running through it, or at least that's how I read it. Here we have David, the newly anointed king of Israel. He's recently made Jerusalem his capital. The nation's enemies have been defeated. The ark has been brought into the city. And David is comfortably ensconced in his new palace of cedar. And then, as though a cartoon light bulb appears over his head, David gets an idea. I should build a house for God. Now, what's funny to me about this is God's response to David, which in my paraphrase goes something like this. David, do you really think the creator and the sustainer of all things need some human-built rinky-dink house? I promise you, David, I'm good. In these verses, God instructed David to forget building God's house because God was building David's house. Now, silly as David's plans for a God house were, I think we can relate. The instinct to do something grand, to make impressive plans, to write the script of our future is a profoundly human intuition. For example, this is yearly planning season for me. I love sitting in front of my calendar spreadsheet, plugging in all of my half-baked plans and projects and programs for the entire year. It feels so good there on paper, idealistic, untainted by reality. It feels good to imagine everything that could be accomplished if everything on that calendar spreadsheet works out. Not that it ever has. But maybe this will be the year when everything comes together perfectly. Probably not. Probably not. On this last Sunday in Advent, as we prepare our hearts to celebrate the incarnation of God's Son tomorrow, I want to speak with you for just a few minutes about this one singular claim. God's plans are better than ours. Borrowing from God's response to the eager, if naive, king, I'll suggest just two ways that God's plans are better than ours. They are complete and they are certain. God's plans are better because unlike ours, they are complete. They leave nothing out, and they are certain, which is to say, they will happen. God's plans are better than ours, first, because they are complete. Early in March 2020, 
most of us realize that our plans were incomplete. Whatever else we had accounted for, most of us had not accounted for a global pandemic. Human beings can only prepare for what we imagine, which means that our plans will always be incomplete because there will always be things which escape our imaginations. David seems to imagine a God who is a little bigger and a little better than himself. David is enjoying his house, so wouldn't God enjoy a house as well? David was comfortable in his new construction. Wouldn't God enjoy some new construction of his own? From David's limited vantage point, his plans overlooked a whole lot. And to David's incomplete plans, God responds. God says, David, maybe you have forgotten. Let me remind you what I've done for you, David. I brought you from a pasture to a palace. David, I've been with you through shepherding and lion fighting and giant slaying and enemy defeating. I have been with you. I have cut off your enemies from you, David. And David, if that's not enough, let me tell you what I'm going to do. I will make your name great. I will appoint a place for my people. I will plant them in their own place. I will give you rest from your enemies. David was busy planning a house while God was planning salvation. There was a lot that David's imagination left out. His plans were limited, but God's plans were complete. They were comprehensive. God's plans left nothing out. You and I plan calendars while God plans galaxies. We plan timelines while God plans lifetimes. We plan appointments while God plans seasons. We plan our nifty long-term strategies while God is planning from alpha to omega. We plan our tasks and to-do lists while God overthrew sin, death, and the devil as a result of his plan. I wonder if any of you know this feeling. Usually it comes over me as I'm about to walk out of our apartment. My wife laughs at me because I start patting all my pockets. There's just this feeling I have that I'm forgetting something. Maybe right before you go on a trip or at the end of a long day, you're sitting on the couch and that thing starts, what am I forgetting? What did I forget to do? Do you know that God has never had that feeling? That God never forgets? God never overlooks. God never gets distracted. Because God's plans are never too small, too narrow, too self-interested. God's plans are purposeful and they are powerful. They are whole and they are holy. The plans of God are complete because with God there is no such thing as an impossible plan, a maybe plan, a if we get lucky plan. No, God's word is always an accomplishing word, which means, and I hope this is good news to you, that there is nothing in your life this morning which is exempt from the effective plan of God in your life. Is there anything in your life that you have assumed to be 
outside of God's good plan? Is there anything in our groaning world which you have come to believe has escaped the redemptive plan of God? If so, listen to how Mary responded. Kids, what are you supposed to say right now? Mary? All right. Listen to how Mary responded when reminded of the immensity of God's agenda. Would you believe this morning, this young and vulnerable woman who sings from a forgotten and occupied backwater of the Roman Empire as she proclaims, he has looked with favor on the lowly state of his servant. The mighty one has done great things for me. He has brought down the rulers from their thrones. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has come to the aid of his child Israel according to the promise he made to our ancestors. Here's your Christmas time assignment. I know we're busy between now and the end of the year. But if at all possible, see if you can't get about 30 minutes of quiet. Get away by yourself and review your plans for the coming year. The ones you've explicitly identified, but also the ones that are just kind of hovering there in the background, your assumptions of what is going to happen. Notice those plans and then hold them confessionally before your God. God Your plans, you might pray, are better than mine because your plans are far more complete than mine will ever be. God, I surrender my plans, all of them, to you. Holy Spirit, help me to align my just good enough plans with your far, far better plans. Church, God's plans are better than ours because God's plans are complete. Second, God's plans are better than ours because they are, do you remember? All right. I heard Pastor Michelle say it. See, that's, 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 you know, if you're a preacher, you're listening, so you're picking it up. That's right. God's plans are better than ours because they are certain. Uh, on, on Friday, Thursday or Friday, I met my neighbor at the bank in our neighborhood uh, because we needed to get him on our condominium's account. And the the teller said, we can't see you now, but we can make you an appointment for early this afternoon. And my neighbor and I were talking, should we make that appointment? And he said something like, let's go ahead and make that appointment, because even if we can't make it, it gives us the option if, if we're available. And I thought about that interaction as I was writing the sermon, because if we're honest, all of our plans are actually like that, aren't they? We make plans, but we know somewhere in the back of our mind that there's a good chance that they will fall through. Some of us, if we can be honest, kind of hope the plans are going to fall through. Some of those plans. (laughs) The the, the plans your your, your Monday self made that your Friday night self doesn't want to keep anymore. We, We sometimes hope plans fall through. Again, let me remind us, God is not like us in this way. God does not make tentative or uncertain plans. God does not make maybe plans. With God, God's plans are always certain. In addition to everything else, God promises David that his household would be established forever. I have to think that when David heard this, he imagined a particular thing, a a kingly lineage, one son after the other existing into perpetuity. And this is not what happens. 
The kingly line falls apart. It ends in occupation and exile. From one vantage point then, God's promises did not come true. God's plans fell apart. And I know that some of us this morning understand precisely today what that feels like. What it feels like to have been convinced that this was God's plan. I know this is what God has for me. I've arranged my life around what God has said to me, and it's petered out. It's fallen apart. The wheels have come off. We know what it is to be in that moment where we say, I know what God had for me. I know what God said. I know what Scripture says. And yet, and still, here I find myself. Particularly this time of year, we can look back over the previous months and recognize everything that didn't go the way we assumed it would. God, this was not how my career, my marriage, my children, my ministry was supposed to go. We live, sisters and brothers, in a gap. We live in the gap between Christ's resurrection and Christ's return. We, we live in a gap, as Pastor Michelle said to our congregation a few weeks ago, in, in the gap between the, the promise of God and the complete fulfillment of God's promises. Which is to say, we live by faith. We live by faith. We have to choose to live into God's trustworthiness even when we cannot see it. Even when we have not felt it. We live in this gap. The life of faith. And so though it appeared that David's lineage had met its match... We learn as we turn to the New Testament that God's plans were far better than David could have ever imagined. This angel comes to Mary in Luke chapter 1 and says to her, do not be afraid for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will, listen, give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. We in this room on January 24th, 2023 are living proof that God keeps his promises through his son. David's imagination had been far too small. David's descendants' imaginations had been far too small. Our imaginations are often far too small. When compared with God's plans, our plans are tiny, and they are timid. Mary realized in that moment that whatever the wildest hopes she had for her life had been, they had been far too small. I wonder this morning if we can admit the same On the eve of God's manger birth, can we joyfully confess that God's dreams are better than ours? Can we trade the pressures of our own half-baked plans for the certain and beautiful future which God has guaranteed through the life, death, and resurrection of the child we welcome tomorrow? I recognize that for different ones of us, the birth of Jesus means different things. For some, it's hope in situations of despair or comfort in situations of affliction, or isolation in experiences of isolation. Yes and amen, but before anything else, Jesus' birth just is God's faithfulness. 
Jesus' birth just is God's yes and amen to every single one of God's promises. Yes, when Jesus was born that Bethlehem night, hope did press through despair, comfort did overcome affliction, and love did press through isolation, but do not miss the birth of David's descendant, the incarnation of the preexistent Son of God, just was God's complete and certain plan for the salvation of the universe. God's plans are better than ours because they are certain. Carlton, can I invite you back up? A couple of weeks ago, I was walking the three blocks from our apartment to our youngest son, Winston's elementary school, to pick him up. By 3.30, as I left our building, dusk had already settled on the neighborhood. And typically as I walk, my, my eyes are drawn uh, to the street level activity taking place around me in the creeping shadows of the afternoon, dodging cars in the crosswalk, dog walkers on the way to the park, other parents on the way to school pickup. But for whatever reason on this afternoon, my, my eyes wandered up beyond the shadows into the bare treetops which line our streets. And when I did, and this is the truth, I stopped and out loud muttered, oh. Just above my head, poking through the shadows, silhouetted against a blue December sky, was this beautiful tangle of branches and limbs illuminated by the golden light of the setting sun. I slowly turned around there in the middle of the sidewalk and noticed that in every direction there were others of these glowing groves, dark from the waist down, but positively radiant through their upper reaches. I noticed too that I, I seemed to be the only person captivated by this late afternoon display of glory. Everyone else as I had been moments earlier, walking to their destination, heads down, eyes forward, enveloped in shadows. How often, I wonder, do you and I walk through this life fixated on our own small agendas and priorities, unaware of the glory that is just above our heads. How often does the disarray of our own plans distract us from the complete and certain promises that God through Jesus is speaking into existence all around us? God's plans are better than ours, more complete in their scope and more certain in their finality. Today, church, let us have eyes like those Bethlehem shepherds, <laughs> eyes which looked up, which peered into the darkness to behold the glory being announced among us. I am bringing you good news of great joy for all people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. Will you pray with me? 
son of David, son of God, who took on our humanity and made your home among us. We worship you this morning. Your promises are trustworthy and your plans are so, so good. Before you, we open our hands. Before you, we release our salvation programs and self-righteous projects. Before your people in this place, we confess that your ways are better than ours, that your thoughts are higher than ours, that your plans are more righteous and just than ours. Align our wills with yours, that we might not miss anything you have prepared for us. And would you fill our hearts with rejoicing as we welcome again our Savior and your Son. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, give us joyful endurance as we await the fulfillment of your plan that we might be found faithful at your glorious return. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Can we celebrate the Lord for us?